Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Redeemed Through His Blood. In this podcast, we discuss hope, healing, and redemption through the atonement of Jesus Christ. I'm Scott Durfee, and I want to introduce my partner in this project, our teacher, Brother David Durfee. Good morning, everybody. So, uh, gang, we want to just uh, be mindful and thankful, let you know how thankful we are for the emails and the questions that we're getting. We appreciate the suggestions. More than anything, we appreciate the questions that are coming, and uh, we have and will continue to address many of these questions throughout our podcast. Uh, we actually, Dave, received an email um, early on in our endeavor here from a great young man who we have the opportunity of being with today. We'll introduce Nate in just a few minutes, but I uh, look forward to having him here with us today. Before we get to that, though, I just want to make sure that we encourage more questions. We encourage your comments. Please send any and all that you may have to this email. It is us at gmail.com. He redeems us at gmail.com. So um, this week we are going to take a bit of a break in the action, and we're going to, uh, as we've been talking about the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, we're going to move into the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, and we're going to see at we're going to see that alive and well in a uh, young man who has uh, struggled and fought his way through life to a point where. He's enjoying the full benefits of uh, covenant keeping of the spirit in his life and all because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. So we're going to get into that here in just a second. Uh, to do that, I'm going to have uh, Dave go ahead and introduce Nate. Nate Moeller will be our uh, guest today. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and turn the time to Dave, let him take it from there for just a few minutes. Well, Nathan and I met... Uh in an institute class. Nathan, how long ago has, has that been? Uh, I was thinking about that just yesterday. I think it's been about 12 years. 12 years ago. It was it's pretty, been a minute. Yeah, it was pretty early when I had just, uh, I think it had only been a year or two that I had designed the course on repentance and forgiveness. And you saw the course on a, on a class uh, offering of a, uh, Utah Valley University Institute of Religion, and came into the class. We met. I th- I don't know. There was a feeling, I know, on my part towards you immediately, and uh, we we developed this uh, relationship. I think I think you actually took the course. Uh, how many times? <laughs> it was so fun that. You you took it multiple times, two or three. I I don't remember. I just know that that first time I took institute, um, I walked into one class and I just didn't. I just wasn't feeling it. And then I went to another class and it was yours. And then I just followed you around and took all your classes. So I don't. I don't know, but that was that was a. And some of your classes were repeats, and I was old enough at that point that I don't even think I was allowed to be an institute. But you let me keep coming, so. <laughs> Well, but it was a lot. So anyway, you you took uh, you took some yeah. courses, and and I remember you. I still remember. I have a vision of of uh, you sitting in the class, absorbing all this. And after a, a class or two, you you kind of helped me teach some of these principles, Nathan, to other students that were in the class. I remember you were you were more than willing. Um, 
Uh, how, let's see, how, how old were you when you took that course? Um, probably, well, 27, 28, 29 in there. Yeah, you were a little older than the other Utah Valley students, I remember. And your experiences, I, re I recall, were in a, a great blessing, uh, extreme blessing to those who were in the class. And uh, I just, I kind of saw you as help, kind of being, helping me to co-teach that class. Uh, you had had those experiences, you had related to it, you had applied the principles the first time that you took the course, and, uh, and anyway, I, I had, you, were, you were awesome the first time you took the course. You were, your life was already well, pretty well established, and uh, you were well on your way to a full conversion, but I think there were things that happened in the class that helped to strengthen that wasn't weren't there yeah i had i had a lot of questions still during that class I, it was i think the first time i took it we were only a year out from going to the temple the the first time my wife and i um and i still had a lot of questions about you know the repentance process that i had gone through like i was i had been in a disciplinary council and all of those things um and so, like, I, I had a lot of questions still about how it worked and if I really was worthy to be where I was. And, and that class just helped connect a lot of dots and helped me to understand things a lot more thoroughly. I think that ultimately was a lot of what I was looking for was why I went to Institute in the first place, just because I, I had, you know, the information, I had the gospel, but I just didn't have enough understanding to go along with it. So yeah, it definitely helped for sure. Yeah. Well, anyway, and we've had a a sweet relationship and friendship ever ever since. Now, Nate, uh, why don't you just kind of help us to introduce you by telling us about uh, your situation? Um, you're married with six children. This is your second marriage, right? Yep. Yep. This is my second marriage. And two. My two oldest kids are from my first marriage. Okay. Tell us, just tell us a little bit about your family. Um, let's see, my wife and I, we've been married, we just celebrated 13 years, which isn't a lot, but it feels like a lot. Um, <laughs> I've, I've known her since I was nine and she was two. That's a whole, that's a whole story in and of itself. Um, my oldest daughter will be, well, she's 19, she'll be 20 in November and we have a 17-year-old, a 14-year-old, 12-year-old, 10-year-old, and an 8-year-old. Um, my wife and I are both teachers. Um, I don't know, we just, we love it. We, we live in Spanish Fork, and that's in Utah, and we just, I don't know, we just, we just love it. Our family and our life, it's just, it's awesome, so. How, how long did your first marriage last, Nathan? Uh, let's see. About it last it lasted five years, four years. I mean, we got separated after four years, I think it was, and then our divorce wasn't final until two years after that. So on paper, it was six years. But well, I I know that uh, we've talked a little bit about that in the past. I remember and some of the lessons that you learned from that. 
And maybe uh, just a little bit so our listeners can understand and appreciate this part of your life, Nathan, is that your extended family is, I know, really important to you. And uh, just tell us a little bit about your your parents and the, the situation there that has had such a tremendous uh, impact on your life. Um, well, I think, first off, like my parents... My my uh, birth parents, my mom, my dad, when they got married, like my my mom was sixteen when I was born, um, and my dad was eighteen, nineteen. So my parents were really young, um, and they did the best that they could. But they're they got divorced when I was in third grade, and then my mom got remarried and then divorced again, and then remarried one last time. Um, so my dad was always kind of there, um, but he worked a lot and was single for most of those teenage years for me. When my mom married my my latest and, and last, well, she's married again, but um, when she married, his name's Corey. When she married Corey, I was 12, and she was married to him until I was 30, and then he, uh, he died. Um, he was killed, um, but... That was, it was honestly, it was rough because him and I actually didn't get along until after he died. And now I feel like I'm closer to him now more than I ever was during in life. So he was my dad, but I didn't realize how much of a dad he was to me until, um, until he died. But Nate, we're going to, we're going to talk about that too. We're going to have you not at this point, but at a point, we're going to have you talk about that experience with your dad, Corey and uh, the situation there but um you know there there's been just an awful lot so far that uh, you've talked about uh, you know your family everything seems like it was pretty standard nate um you know except for a few divorces i mean you know but that's not all that uncommon in today's world right uh, my kids have ex- gone through those experiences and You've gone through those experiences as a kid. Uh, Dave's uh, had the experience from being able to counsel with and see a lot of this because of his leadership positions and so forth in the church, uh, which gives him a great perspective on that front. But, you know, from a a third grade kid, how old are you in third grade? Eight, nine, somewhere in that neighborhood. To have parents going through what they must have been going through, that had to create some kind of... uh, feelings of confusion maybe fear maybe i don't know how would you describe that at that time well so back then um i mean everything seemed normal i mean i remember thinking i knew that there were problems but i didn't really know what they were um but you start to get this sense of like okay it's mom versus dad i have to like mom over dad or i have to like dad over mom and I don't know if my parents, I mean, I don't think they would intentionally play us against each other or play us against one another. Um, but that's what it was like. And I was the oldest. I'm still the oldest. And I had two younger siblings. And so my parents, you know, though it seemed normal, my parents were always at work. So I was often alone taking care of my siblings. Um, and like I said, they did, they did the best that they could, but it it was rough. Like I, I don't know. I just kind of had the sense that I was like another parent. Like I was just a babysitter. So 
Uh, my parents wouldn't get home till late. They would be in bed early in the morning or go to work early in the morning, and I'd get my siblings up and send them to, to school. Um, and most of the time, that's at least that's how I remembered it. So I remember being home in the summertime you know, with my siblings. Like We'd leave my little brother home, or my little brother would go to a sitter, and my middle brother, he's just a few years younger than I, we would walk to the Provo pool and just, we'd just be there all day long. Yeah. Um, that's just where we lived. Um, we didn't, you know, I'm sure to a lot of people, it just looked like we didn't, we didn't have parents, but it was, it was hard, but it led to a lot of frustration. It led to a lot of, uh, anger for yeah. me. I used to take it out on my siblings. Yeah. Um, tell me, tell me about the frustration. Talk to me about the frustration and the anger maybe. Um, and, and how that carried into not just so at eight and nine, I mean, you're getting some of this going on. Things couldn't have been perfect prior to that, or mom and dad wouldn't have got a divorce in the first place. And there may have been some, some confusion that you weren't even able to articulate at that young age, perhaps. But as things progressed for you in your life and you moved from, you know, pre-adolescent to adolescent to your preteens to your teenage years, even into high school and your early adulthood, kind of just give us an overview of what it was like for you uh, and, and emphasize those things that um, really led to your wandering away from anything that was uh, like the atonement of Jesus Christ, for example. Well, my parents were part of the church before they divorced. I remember getting baptized. Um, and so up until that point, I was part of the church. After my parents divorced, um, my mom was remarried. So Nate, let me, let, me, let me pause you right there. When you say I was part of the church at eight, what, did that, what does that look like? By record only, or were you participating and going to primary and Sunday school and activities and all those things? Uh, what was that I, like? Yeah, I, I, remember, I remember going. I remember being there. I remember um, young, well, I, I would say young men, young women leaders, but that wasn't what they were yet, right? They were primary yeah. leaders. Um, bringing me, I, I still have a, I have a book that one of my primary leaders wrote in when I got baptized. So like I, there was enough of participation that they were trying, but now that I'm, you know, in the church, you know, strongly now, maybe, it, maybe we were less active. I don't know, because I remember getting extra attention from them, which usually means they're trying to get us to come back. So I don't remember for sure. Right. But you but do, do did, know, you did grow up having some familiarity with the uh, yeah. workings, with even the, uh, the culture and even the spirit around all of it. It sounds like, yeah. so it sounds like that you weren't just left wander, just left to wander spiritually. Even at that young age, there was some direction, obviously probably mm -hmm. very confusing because it was uh, meeting against uh, a home front that was incongruent with all of that. And so what was happening inside of you when this was all going on? Um, so after they got divorced, it was just more of like, well, we don't go to church anymore. That was just kind of the expectation. Yeah. I had friends that went, and so I would go and hang out. I remember being in scouts, but it wasn't. We didn't go to church. My dad didn't go to church, so that wasn't pushed. So at the time of the divorce, my time without the church kind of began um, because we, we weren't a part of it. Right. Um, but I will say one of my earliest memories is actually being in primary. And I remember I was a sunbeam. And I remember singing 
I am a child of God. And I didn't really understand the impact of that. But having that song in my mind throughout my those years, and even knowing at some point somewhere I am a child of God, that was a big, um, it focused me a lot. It helped me to at least have some kind of semblance of something. Like, I didn't, I didn't understand it until later, but um, that helped a ton. But my whole teenage years, we didn't have any of that. My mom, the guy she married, um, he he drank a lot, and for and I don't I'm not, I don't want to like my mom did her best. Like I said, I'm not trying to badmouth her or anything. But in that in that marriage, I mean, it was two years, roughly. You know, we would my brothers and I would get beat by him. My you know my mom was getting abused by him as well. And that's really where my anger and start and everything really started was, I mean, I had siblings always following me around, but then after I was getting beat, um, that would turn up in me showing anger and frustration at school and even more so to my brothers in my neighborhood, um, things like that. I was, I was a rough kid. Um, those early years in school, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Um, I remember I, I taped a needle, like a sewing needle to my teacher's chair. Um, which to me as a teacher now, it's like, Oh, that's a scream for help, you know? Yeah. But I, I was, I was, I was screaming for help, but I didn't know it. And I don't know if anybody else knew it. I was rough. I was a rough kid because of that. So as you uh, were experiencing all of this and so far, we're still in elementary school. It sounds like as you experience all of this and you move into your adolescent years, you know, and we go through changes in our body. We go through changes in our association with other people, et cetera. Um, how were these things beginning to, and when I say these things, what I'm referring to specifically is how did the dark things in your life, how were they becoming more and more prevalent? Why were they becoming more and more prevalent? Were you at some point beginning to find ways to kind of cope with the feelings that you were having? And if so, what were the ways that you were doing that? How were you coping with the confusion, the anger, the fear, the, the absolute, to, to be abused and to be watching your mom or knowing that your mom's being abused. That's just something nobody should ever have to go through, but you nonetheless did. And, uh, so how was that? I mean, what were some of the ways that your frustration, your anxiety, all of the other adjectives that I could use and none of them would be adequate. I get it. But how were all of those things beginning to manifest themselves? Um, Really, I, I didn't know how. I, I just acted out. Um, I got in fights at school. I would steal things. I would. I mean, and that that went all the way up until I was a young adult. I mean, it, you know, meaning in my twenties, I had no idea, you know, what I was doing. I just did things. I had people around that were not good kids. Like I remember in elementary school, I had a kid pull a gun on me in elementary school. In elementary school. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was really mean to one of his friends. So he brought a gun to school and put a gun to my head and said that if I wasn't nice to his friend, he'd kill me. I don't know if my mom knows that, <laughs> but that, that happened just in Provo. Um, I just, I mean, it just shows like, I just, I just acted, I just did whatever I wanted. Right. Um, and then to heck with what anybody thought or felt. I just, I just was what I was. And that was, that was a problem. I was lightning without a rod. I guess if you say like, I just, I wasn't focused. I just did whatever I wanted. Yeah. I like so, that analogy. You I, were, you were how old when you got married, Nate? 
Uh, we got married. I was I was twenty or nineteen. Okay, so almost twenty. Okay, married married for a few years. Uh, what was kind of the the depth of darkness that you experienced in those years? The depth of your darkness. Where how how far? Well, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is probably before my marriage. Um, right around that, you know, mission age time, you know, I, cause when my mom married Corey, I got to go back to church a little bit. And so when I got to that mission age, there was always, there was a question. I remember a bishop asking, are you going to go on a mission? I think the depths of everything really started when I made the choice of, do I want to go on a mission or do I want this girlfriend I have? Uh-huh. And for fear that she, well, I knew she wouldn't wait for me. And I guess for my lack of understanding, I chose her instead of a mission. That being said, I'm so glad I have my children and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't give them up now, but I chose, you know, my children basically chose my girlfriend over a mission and then we got married. So that really, I think probably started a lot of things. Um, I tried, you know, I remember when we got married, we tried to go to church and it just didn't work. Um, and so after about a year and a half, we stopped going. And then from there, that's where it really fell apart. Um, I had drank alcohol and, and done a few drugs here and there throughout my teenage years. Um, and I didn't the first year and a half, but after the first year and a half of my marriage, it just didn't, it just fell apart from there. Um, I became... Um, I wasn't an alcoholic yet, I don't think, but I drank a lot recreationally for fun, I guess. Um, she started doing that too. And we just, you know, our, our marriage really just didn't have a focus. We were just married. And I, I guess maybe at that point the focus was we're married for our kids, mm-hmm. you know, like there wasn't anything else to it. So your life, your life at that point really started to unravel and maybe, yeah. maybe even things in your past and maybe hers as well began to kind of be exposed. And so what was kind of your, your rock bottom and what, what got your attention to start coming back? Well, my rock bottom didn't really happen until, um, we were separated. Um, so I think that started me on the path to take me to rock bottom. So when we were separated, you know, she left and we had bought a house and we were selling it and, the kids were at my house. I mean, like she didn't have anywhere to go yet. So she would come and sleep on the couch of that house and I would sleep upstairs until we sold it. So I mean, it was, it was the best we could with what we had, but it was dysfunctional to say the least. And it made it hard. So I just, that's when I really started drinking. I remember spending, I I was spending probably six to $700 a month, at least on alcohol, just for myself. Um, So just to be clear, Nate, at this point you have two children. I have two. They were both little. Let's see how old. Um, five and five and two, three. Under so, five. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we sold the house. I moved into an apartment, and I just I just drank and and partied, and I put the kids to bed, and then after the kids went to bed, I'd do whatever at nighttime. Um, so uh, you know, almost two years of that. I came to a point where it was like, okay, I don't like the way that my life is going. I, I I don't, I don't like there. There were two guys that were living in the same area as me who were kind of in the same boat. 
they're both, you know, drinking, partying, those kinds of things. And two, the one guy was really, really not doing well. He was, you know, pretty dark. And that kind of took my thoughts to some darker places. Um, and right around that time, I started to have these suicidal thoughts and tendencies come around. Like, look, I'm not doing anything for anybody. Like, what's the point? What am I, what am I really doing here? Um, I, you know, basically I come to the realization that I had failed, like my life had failed the way that I was living wasn't a way to live. So what's the point? Why should I keep going? And when I decided that I, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to kill myself. There's no reason to keep going. That was really probably about the, as rock bottom as it got. Mm -hmm. Well, as I was driving out to my parents' house to go and get a gun that I knew my dad left in a, in a cupboard in the garage so um, nate let me, that was probably about my rock bottom let me have you let me just go back because there's a couple of things that i want to emphasize about what you're talking about i want to get to where you're headed with uh you know uh your rock bottom story but but prior to that uh were there were there inklings did you ever have ideologies prior to this date of perhaps ending your own life uh, was it a fleeting thought from time to time? Was it something that you had seriously contemplated? You just mentioned that you were going over to your dad's and there was a gun there and, and uh, we can all imagine where we're going with this, but uh, had these thoughts come to your mind before or was this first time ever? No, um, I, I had thought that from time to time when I was younger as well. I mean, there were a lot of really hard times growing up. Um, so you were no so, stranger to despair at any point so far in your story here. Despair had been throughout your life. It sounds like. Well, I was I was an angry angry person. Yeah. Um, I I mean I was known for getting into fights at school, so that's that was my reputation. Um, my dad, my my stepdad, my dad was a cop, so as you can imagine, those two things didn't go together very well. Um, I was also larger than he was and had a, you know, inflammatory, uh, temperament most of the time. Um, so I spent a lot of time alone. We also lived in the middle of nowhere. We lived out in a farming community out West of Spanish Fork. So nobody was coming to get me. So I was on the farm alone a lot. Um, I remember sleeping in cars when my parents were mad at me and things like that. So like it was... Yeah, I, I had I was alone a lot, and so because of that, I thought those things a lot. Like, yeah. you know, what's the point? I don't. Yeah, nobody cares about me. Um, so you're you know, at your I, dad's. I'm, you pull up to your mom and dad's and continue well, with that part. Yeah, so I I actually didn't quite get to my parents' house. Um, I lived I lived um, I don't know probably five six miles away from where their house was out um, in the farm country, and I got probably two thirds of the way there. And I had this thought of like, wait, if anything, I do have a reason to live. And then it was about that moment that my kids' images flashed in my mind. And I knew I needed to hold on for at least them. So I slowed my car down, turned around and drove back home. And that was probably the moment where you know, my parabola of being at the very bottom started to come back up just, just a little bit because I decided to turn around. What, what so. do you think uh, was the source of, of that thought? As you look back on that uh, now, Nathan, what, what was kind of the source of that, do you think? Well, 
I know what the source was, but at that time it was just a, I've got to live for my kids moment. But Mm -hmm. as I, you know, as I go on with this, I know the best way that I can explain it is it, you know, the savior reached into my soul and calmed those stormy seas. He calmed the water. He stopped it. I, I don't know how else to explain it. I, it, it was, I know that I had gone as far as I could go and I couldn't go anymore. And he stopped it. He saved me. So he gave me the perspective to continue on and hope for something more. Nate, so many of our listeners uh, have experienced or maybe even are experiencing something very similar, maybe not in terms of the logistical details of what we're talking about here, but the feelings are not unfamiliar. The feelings of hopelessness, the feelings of despair, the feelings of I'm done, I just can't keep doing this. And people want to know. They're going to ask, why was Nate blessed? Why was Nathan blessed so much that he was able to feel Christ's spirit reach down and your words, pull him out of what's going on here? So how would you respond to that? Why were you blessed in this way? What choices had you made? What things in your life kind of precipitated this? Was there an event or just a series of events? So what made you, what made this, what made your heart available and open to the, to be receptive to the spirit of our Heavenly Father at that point? The first thing that comes to mind is um, throughout those years where I didn't have the church in my life, um, there was still always part of me because of the foundation that I didn't know was important that had been laid. I think even just from when I was a sunbeam, having that song, I would tell the God. Um, There were moments where I had been, I remember one night I was really being maybe more like an Enos moment where I'm being really just, or or a a Nephi moment where I'm my, my past is just wreaking havoc on me. I don't have gospel in my life, but, I just was just feeling so terrible about what I knew to that point that I was guilty of. And so I remember sitting in my car and I remember praying probably more fervently than I ever have. And I remember looking up and seeing the stars and just a feeling I had was I'm not alone. So I had a few moments like that throughout those years where even though I was lost, or at least I think I was, I was still searching for something. Um, so part of me had always, I think, I know part of me always believed, but it just wasn't something that I had chosen to accept or give place for yet. So in that moment when I'm driving out to my parents' house and my kids' images float in my mind, I tapped back into that, into those feelings of hoping for something more, I think. And that sliver of faith that sliver of, of hope i mean if you go to what is it um alma 27 20, alma 32 27 28 that seed had grown enough i think that the lord was like okay i can i can help you now hmm. that's that's that, that's what i think okay so so you turned around it, you know you, you learned in in the course that repentance literally means to turn around so you, that was the beginning of you would say turning around your life and where did it go from there, Nathan? So 
from there, I drove home and I remember um, my, well, he's my brother-in-law now, but my friend at that point had, had come over and I was trying to explain to him what had happened. And um, in between um, driving home and him coming over, I had this realization. It was like, it was like God knew that I needed to have a carrot dangled before me. Um, and I mean, you know, being separated, I felt alone. I felt all this despair. Um, this image came into my mind of a, of a woman that I, of a, of a girl that I was supposed to be with. And it was my best friend's sister. And I just had this all encompassing feeling of she's who I'm supposed to be with. I know it. I just, I just knew it. And I then tried to explain that to him and he laughed, essentially laughed me to scorn. And I had this impression, you know, let's open the scriptures. And so I ended up going to Ether 1227, which was when I wrote you guys that initial email. Um, and we, well, we read part of Ether and how it talks about faith and we got to 1227. So the faith and then the making weak things become strong. It was as if what I had known or been shown was then granted for him to be able to see because mm. he knew in that moment also that it was true. And then from then, um, I just, I just had an upward trajectory. Um, mm. the Lord was just guiding me beyond what I could understand. I had something to hope for, even though I didn't know that I was going to get it. I believed it. And I just kind of, you know, worked toward that. I started going back to church. I, you know, started hanging around my parents more. I stopped hanging around bad friends. Obviously I didn't drink anymore. Um, and I just started that path of change. Cause I knew it's like, look, I had tried to live. I had tried to do it my way and I failed. I failed to live the way that I wanted to. So there had to be something else. There had to be a better way and the better way. It wasn't my way. It was his. Mm. So I've long felt that the way that I live now, I'm on his errand. I owe everything I am to him. I failed. And so now I am living a second life that was granted by him alone. And so I just, I feel like I have to do the best that I can. I'm still very flawed, but I try. So, well, what's amazing as you're relating your story, Nathan, what, what I think is amazing is that you were in a really bad place, but somehow, some way, because of a child hearing or, or feeling more than hearing, the truth about being a child of God, that when the Lord gave you an experience, you recognized it. I'm not sure that you really knew the source of it, but but that you knew that it was God, and that God knew you, and that God was concerned about you, and you recognized that and received it. I think so many times God gives people experiences, but they fail to either recognize the source of it or fail to completely receive it. Not only did you receive it by turning around, by going back to your children, but you turned to the word of the Lord. Uh, that's that's pretty amazing to me, because I don't think you probably had a lot of experience with the scriptures, but uh, you were led into the into the scriptures, and there is a power about the word, isn't there? No, there is, but I would say... There's a power about it, but there's an even greater power about it when you choose it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Up to that point, I, you know, I had the church in my life on and off, but it wasn't something that I had chosen for myself. Therefore, I didn't understand what was really happening. So when I went to church, you know, as a teen, you know, on and off, 
I didn't want to go. I didn't want to be there. I didn't see a point. I was going through the motions, but I never was converted to it. So I, I, I say, you know, I was raised in the church, but I was converted when I was 27 because I really didn't choose to be a part of it until I was about 27, 26, 27. So. Well, and I think there's a difference too, Nathan, maybe you can describe this, of being converted to the church versus being converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at, yeah. the, at that point, your conversion is more to God, to Jesus Christ, you're beginning to fill the Spirit, and your, your real conversion is in developing a relationship with God and feeling that they know you and your desire to know them. Is that right? How would you put that? No, I, I agree. So, I mean, I think the church is wonderful, but the reality of it is, and, and this was said in conference, and maybe you can tell me who said it, but I want to say it was like Ballard or something, but the church is only created for imperfect people. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need the church. We would have an understanding and we would have you know, the Lord and we wouldn't need to worry about it. The church is amazing, but it's just a tool to help us get back to God. And the connections that you can make with the Lord, especially, which which is really cool with our church is, I mean, you, you said this in class once, we aren't all prophets, seers, and revelators, but we are all prophets because we can receive revelation. Yeah, I've received lots of different revelations for myself. I seek out understanding and have questions all the time so that I can further my understanding. And that has to do with my individual relationship with God. Um, and the more you grow to know him, the more you become like him and the closer you get to him. I mean, like it becomes harder and harder and harder to fall. You also brought up in that, and it was in conference too, the top, the story about the two wolves yeah, and which wolf, which wolf wins the one that you feed. Well, I mean, the more I, you know, go down this path that I started years ago, the more that I find myself close to him. That doesn't mean that. I don't have moments where I feel like I've made an about face and I'm going the wrong direction. But ultimately, my foundation is Christ. And because my foundation is Christ, even when I have hard times, I know that I can't fall hmm. because he's always there. Yeah, that's that's really powerful, Nathan. So uh, skip a little bit further ahead from from that uh, that night that you read Ether 1227 and you started to come back. And you end up marrying your best friend's uh, sister, who's now your wife. And I know that story, and I think it's so sacred and so sweet that God gave you that vision. And uh, and I know it's true, and I know both of you know it's true. And now you have these children, and you're a school teacher, you're a football coach, you're doing all of these things. But so several several years have been under the bridge since you took. Uh, the course on repentance and forgiveness. And just just to remind you, we begin that course as we did this podcast. By the way, before I forget, you have your own podcast trying to help youth. Some of them may be going through some of the things you went through to try to help adolescents. Why, why don't you just, before I forget, say something about your podcast? Um, well, ours is uh, called... Uh, what, what do we even call it? Teen advice stuff you really want to hear. Um, Say it again. Doing it. Teen advice stuff we stuff you really want to hear. That's the uh, name of we, the podcast. We just yeah, my wife and I do it, just trying to take the perspective of teachers. And I mean, you know, my wife's story 
um, and her experiences in life, ironically enough, are very similar to my own. Um, and the fact that she was even able to pray and get an answer that she was supposed to marry me is a testament to the things that she'd been through and learned that God is there. Anyway, all of those things and the fact that we teach, we try to help kids get through this time. Um, I'll be, we, we were really diligent with it for a while and then school started and we stopped and we tried to start it again this summer. And then, I mean, we've been so busy, but I mean, it's still there. We have about 20 episodes that are on it. Um, so for those, for those who want to know, it's called Stuff You Really Want to Know, Teen Advice, and it's by, uh, oh boy, I just started playing it, and it's by, uh, yeah, and it's by uh, Nate and Jess um, Moeller. Okay, so so thank you for that. I hope I hope uh, that uh, parents will, will point their teens that direction or they'll be able to find it. Uh, so going back to our course, you, you remember... Back then, as we began this podcast, was to know who you are as sons and daughters of God. That was the beginning of the course on repentance and forgiveness. And to also know that we are fallen beings, that we are all sinners, and to recognize and celebrate our mortal state. And then we go from there to a, through a process of obtaining faith in Christ, repentance, which is a process, what what kind of stands out to you that strengthened you? Because you were in a pretty good place when you when I first met you and you were taking that course. Uh, you were coming back. You were you were in a pretty good place. What stood out to you that helped strengthen your resolve to continue in your conversion of the gospel? Um, I think the thing that helped me most was. Honestly, it was it was pretty simple. Um, at least, you know, easy thing to remember was just how you're always told to endure to the end, right? I always just remember, even now, when things get really hard, just endure. Just endure. And then from there, my mind goes to various things that I've heard. Like one of the things that I like to draw on is um, Joseph Smith and knowing that right before he had the first vision, you know, what happened to him. Satan did everything he could to stop him from getting into that growth. Um, and I found that throughout my life, when things get really bad, it usually means that Satan sees something good coming. And if you can just hold on just for a little bit, that bad will pass and something good follows. Um, so, I mean, really, just if you kind of take that, for me, if you take that mindset, I've just found myself growing and growing and growing in faith and testimony. I mean, some days it feels like, you know, one step forward and two steps back, but I would say overall, I don't even have to say, I would say, I know that I am better off now than I was. And that right there is repentance. The desire to be on a path and grow and become better. That really is repentance. And you're showing God that you're repentant through your actions. Um, and it's taken a long time, and it's been hard, and I know it's still going to continue to be, but my life is so blessed just because I remember those few things and I don't give up hope. Um, I think the other thing that I remember is the story that I've shared today. Um, whenever things, again, get really hard, like I've had moments where Jess and I will get in an argument, and it'll be like, God, why am I – why are we even married? Like, And, and I, I say that, but I say it because it's normal. Satan wants you to second-guess things. 
And for people to think, oh, that's terrible. You thought you shouldn't be married to your wife. No, it's normal. Satan's <laughs> going to do that. Um, I remember, well, let's see. Why are we married? And then I remember that story again. And it's like, I know I'm supposed to be with her. I know it. And it kind of erases the lies that he tells you. It dispels those things that he wants to get you to believe so that you get off course again. Well, so, that's, 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 that's the importance of remembering, Nathan, right? I think we've, we've taught that, that President Kimball said the most important word in the Book of Mormon is remember. But so many don't remember. It's so easy to forget or to have something of a lapse, you know, of we, 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 we get this spiritual amnesia sometimes and we forget who we are or we forget the experiences that we've had. Uh, besides just recalling them, what are you doing in your life now to be continually moving forward on the path, strengthening your faith, continuing in your repentance, and to help yourself to remember these experiences that you've described. And Nate, before you answer that question, maybe you could do it in light of another experience that I know that's been difficult probably for you in your life. You talk about a stepfather. In fact, you've talked about several stepfathers. And you talked about the blessing of your most recent, well, a a stepfather, Corey, uh, who um, went through a pretty difficult situation or, or because of something that happened to him also created a difficult situation in your family. Uh, that had to be hard for you as well. Maybe you could describe that and then answer Dave's question around that, but uh, apply it not just to everything else in your life, but that experience specifically. Maybe you could kind of tell us what happened there briefly and how you've been able to, through the atonement of Jesus Christ, make it through that experience. Um, well, his the story with him, um, he was... He was a Utah County Sheriff's deputy um, for a long time. It was, what, eight months shy of 20 years. Um, he was working out in Eagle Mountain. Uh, he was a desk sergeant, basically. And he was leaving his office in Eagle Mountain one day to drive out to where my family lived to pick up my little brother um, to take him to lunch. And it was January 30th, 2014. Super crappy day, really snowy, crappy day. Um, and as he's leaving and he gets on to um, SR-70 out there, that's the main road that used to go from out like Cedar Fort, Eagle Mountain into Lehigh. Um, he saw a truck parked off to the side of the road. He drove past the truck and realized, you know, I mean, I, we, we, we don't know necessarily what he thought because we don't have any audio or video to know, but we can surmise. I've thought about this a lot. But you see him, and I've seen the dash cam video. He does drive past the truck, stops, turns around, comes back behind the truck, and then um, calls into dispatch and says that he's got a motorist assist. With police, a motorist assist is like the most low-key of calls. It's, I'm helping somebody change a tire, or they're stuck in the mud, or something like that. So it's not something that dispatch really worries about. Um, And for 18 minutes, he goes back and forth between that car and his car, and tries to find out, okay, why are they on the side of the road? Why are there hazards on? What can I do to remedy their situation? Um, He finds that there's a and a 17-year-old female driving and a, an adult Hispanic male in the passenger seat. 
Um, he finds that the truck belongs to her grandparents. She gives him, you know, her information. He gain, he gets information from the mail, um, and it turns out that that information is faulty. So for really the 18 minutes, he goes back and forth between the two cars. He's trying to find out who this male is. He won't tell him who he is. Um, after, at what, you know, after about 18 minutes, the truck has a sliding back window on it, and it, uh, they he shoots seven shots in the front of my dad's police car. The first two bullets hit him. Um, first one hits him up in the temple area on the side of his head. And the second one hits him in the jugular on the opposite side of his head. And he is incapacitated on the side of the road and they speed off. And it turns into a countywide manhunt trying to find somebody who had shot this deputy and later shot another deputy, which was uh, Greg Shearwood. He was shot in the head in, in Santa Quin. And then they sped on and got into a shootout. And then that man died that day and the 17 year old is in prison for um you know aggravated murder basically um that happened it, it goes back to that joseph smith analogy i mentioned earlier that happened about a week after i had taken over the classroom in my student teaching assignment at pleasant grove high school um in that moment, it was like, holy crap, the world does not want me to be a teacher. And I already had doubts that I could do it. I remember that first night when we were told that he was shot and killed, feeling anger that first day at the hospital in Orem. That's where our family was. That's where the, the sheriff came and talked to us. And then after that, it was kind of like that initial experience that I explained when the Savior calmed my seas. It's like he did the same thing. He took that angst, that frustration that anger and he removed it and the outpouring of community love and um help and acceptance and willing to suffer collectively replaced that anger and that frustration it really started the healing process for us and it was interesting a lot of the times i remember going to things i remember being at his viewing i remember going to events that our family was invited to be at consoling other people, hugging people as they cried into my shoulder. <laughs> um, it was rough, but it was very, very unique and very, a very sweet experience just because I know I mean, at the end of the day, I think the thing that really gives us peace is I believe that before we come to this earth, we're told what's going to happen. I believe that we come knowing who we're going to be and what's going to happen. And I know that Corey knew that that was going to happen to him that day, whether he realized it in this life or not. But he knew, and he chose to allow it. So I know that he would have rather gone through that than make another family go through it, which means that my family was positioned to have to go through such an experience. And still to this day, it's hard. I mean, I've, I've mentioned, not today, but I've, I've realized this in my past. Like, when things happen like that, you don't they don't go away. They don't. You really just learn to deal with it. You learn to live with it. You learn to either make it a positive or a negative. And there are so many people that take things like that and let them become a negative and it harbinges on them. It causes them to become these spiteful, mean people because they just don't know how to cope with it. And, and in reality, we can't cope with it on our own. We have to have a mediator. And that's what the Savior can do is he can allow you to get rid of all that negative feeling and angst and everything else. And now I'm able to take that story and among others, and I use them in my classroom. Um, one of the coolest experiences, I think, and one of the things that helped me to become the teacher I am is when I went back 
to finish teaching. First off, I would say I was teaching with two teachers at Pleasant Grove High School, both of which had lost their fathers. So both of which had a unique and they lost their fathers in unexpected ways. So they both had a unique ability to understand me. So their approach to me changed. And then I remember first day taking over the class and it was just a ghost town. The kids didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to react. It was so in everybody's face. Everybody knew. And so, you know what? I pulled up a picture of my dad. I explained the whole situation in explicit detail. And I learned in that moment, my testimony changed because now I know that sharing my story, I don't have faith in it anymore. I know that sharing my story changes lives and can help people because I experienced it firsthand in front of strangers. My dad is still amazing. I've grown to know him now more than ever. I see him in dreams constantly. He's always there. My brother has had really personal experiences with him. He's still around. He still helps us. I still get to feel him when I'm in situations that are hard. I have an image of him come to my mind and he'll say, I'm here. So it was a rough experience, but it has strengthened my testimony and the atonement and the plan of salvation and of this gospel in ways that I just couldn't have had any other way. It really almost to me seems like he was meant to do that so that I could be who I am. Because without him going through what he went through, I would not be who I am today. And that's, oh, that's humbling to think that God planned for somebody to die, not just my savior, but somebody else to die so that I could become who I am. It's, it's, it's crazy to think about, but so, who knows what he's doing. So Nathan, thank you for sharing that. Um, God has taken your experiences and through the atonement of Jesus Christ and his redemption has consecrated those experiences for your gain and through you he has consecrated that experience for others' gain as he promised that he would in the scriptures. But Nathan, that's not true for probably every member of your family. I don't know. So why has he, why you, why have, why has this experience helped to sanctify you, consecrated this experience for your gain, and through you been able to bless others? Why, what's the difference? What, what, I mean, I I don't think it just happened. There's something about you or something that you did to help the atonement of Jesus Christ be activated in your life for you to access it to bring about all of the the goodness to make beauty so to speak out of ashes how come and and what's the difference um it's you know it goes back to that day when i was driving out to my parents house to take my life i decided to make a change that day and i decided to accept even though I didn't necessarily understand in that moment, I decided to accept my savior. And because I decided to accept him and his um, payment for me, for his uh, bloodshed, for his sacrifice, I, I made that choice. And so when these other challenges come, I've already made that choice. And so the savior is still there. And it's not that he's not readily available for other people, but it's just, it's, not everybody's accepted him. Mm-hmm. They need to they need to accept him. And as soon as you accept him in your life, that sorrow, that pain, it ends. I, I had this realization the other day. Um, 
I realized that you can take two people and you can give them the exact same experience. And if one has the savior and one doesn't, the paths are going to be very similar. The one person that has a savior is going to grow and learn from experience. And the path of the person that doesn't have the savior is probably going to turn into alcohol and sadness and frustration and anger. The thing is, is the human body wants to find a way to cope. Mm-hmm. But if we choose the world, we cope in a worldly way and we'll never find deliverance. Once you make the choice to accept his sacrifice for the thing that makes up the difference, you know, that bridge between you and heaven, once you accept the savior, it takes you somewhere else and, and you, you, you can't go there by yourself. You, you just can't, but you have to at some point accept them. I have family members that are still struggling from it. And I'm not saying that they haven't, I guess, accepted the savior to a greater or lesser degree, but not in the same way. And I, I, I mean, there's a couple that I can think of that, you know, are really still struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I know that the answer really just is the savior. If you can find him, if you can allow him to help you, it goes away. The feelings don't like you learn to live with it, but like that hatred, the anger, the, the pit in your stomach because this terrible thing happened, all of that human emotion, that goes away. All of the stuff that the world would have you harp on, that part goes away. And you learn to, maybe the difference is instead of having worldly sorrow, you have godly sorrow. It's just different. Um, and it also has you hope for a better tomorrow. And it's not even necessarily hope. It's like, I know things are going to be hard, but I know that as long as I keep trying, God won't forsake me because he's already saved me so many times. Um, so, but once you've tested that, once you've allowed him to help you, you can see it, but until you have, it's really scary to take that step. And that's why a lot of people, I honestly believe that's why a lot of people turn into alcoholics. For example, if I look at my experience, I used alcohol to cope because that's all I had to dull the pain and to numb the feelings that I had. I coped myself, but it didn't work, did it? But when I accepted the savior, the alcohol wasn't a need anymore. I didn't need to cope anymore because the coping mechanism was the savior. I replaced it with something that was more than I could understand. Well, Moroni, Moroni describes that uh, faith in Christ must include hope in Christ. So the hope that you're really describing, Nathan, is, is not just wishing, you know, it, does, it doesn't mean that. Your hope is centered in Christ, hope in Christ. And there's a, there's a power about that, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, without it, like, we've had this conversation about hope before, and then I remember, I remember coming to your class one day. It was probably shortly before you retired. Um, and I asked you about hope before class, and then you changed your lesson and talked about hope that whole class period, that whole time frame, just about the importance of hope and what hope really is and what hope can do for you. Um, hope is an amazing thing. And yeah, it turns into faith and knowledge and all these other things, but hope keeps you going yeah it's it's kind of like knowing that that sun's gonna come up tomorrow it's 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 hope that it's there um i'll always have hope that he's there and faith that he's there and knowledge that he's there you know but hope is something really akin differently than, than faith and is i think so important and and all centered in jesus christ and we really appreciate nathan your 
your uh, sharing your your story, but especially we're we're grateful for your example of faith in Christ and His atonement, hope in Christ and His atonement, and your example of being an individual who, uh, knowing that they were a son of God, was willing to receive. I think it comes down to accepting it and receiving it, which is an action word. It's not just a, a matter of choosing it, but you had to take some action, which you've done, Nathan, throughout your life. And, and I know that you're, we're all flawed. None of us are perfect. We're all, we're all sinners. Uh, none of us uh, go through this life uh, unscathed, but that all things can be healed through Christ and his blood. And uh, you're an amazing example of that, Nathan, and we're, we're really grateful. Maybe just in closing, you want to sh- share any feeling of, of testimony or closing thoughts that you, that you have before we close? We'll give you the last word. And Nate, as you're doing this, uh, think about what advice you might give to parents who might be struggling, wondering, uh, what could I do to help my son who might be going through something like that? If there's anything that loved ones or parents could do to influence this, maybe you could include that. Yeah, how how can we point others to the Savior? Well, I'd love to share my testimony. Um, I, uh, I guess before I do that, I'll say... Um, I had a thought the other day and I write, you know, that's part of the reason that I remember so many things. I write lots of things and I was cleaning my, my, I was cleaning one day listening to a podcast and I had this thought come to my mind of a story. And so I wrote out this story and I won't share the whole thing, but if you're a parent and you have somebody that's struggling, um, like I have my two older kids struggle with different things, um, my oldest daughter is really struggling with identity right now. Um, whether she's a boy or a girl or what she wants out of her life, like, like she, she's struggling. And that's been hard for me to deal with too. Um, I just, I don't know how to handle it. Right. It's not an experience that I have to be able to draw on. But um, one thing that this story helped me realize was, you know, if you think, you know, just pretend like you're on a hiking trail and you're hiking and you stay on that path and the path is clearly marked and you're on it with your family and one of your family members divert and go a different path. There are a lot of things that can happen on the path and off the path, but off the path, it's scary. Like if you send a kid, you don't know where they're at. You don't know if they found a cliff. You don't know if they got attacked by a bear. You don't know. Like it's, it's a different path. But one thing that you can take faith in is if you've taught your children to look for the signs, to follow the path that's set before you, even if they leave it, eventually they'll find their way back to it. Um, and that doesn't mean don't care. That doesn't mean throw your arms up in the air and have a Jesus take the wheel moment. That's not what it means. It means just have faith in the fact that you've done more than you realize. And the person that your kid is going to become, it can't happen unless they left the path in the first place. Sometimes you've got to let it happen and you've got to stand back and let them know that you love them. Let them know that you're there. Um, but really just make sure that they know that you're not angry at them for making a bad choice. Cause if you, if you make them feel like you're angry, they're not going to come to you anymore. They've got to know that you're still there. 
Um, I think that's one of the most important things that you can do. I've seen it with students and I've seen it with my own kids. If anything, my kids will at least still come around. They may not be doing things that I agree with, but I have hope just like with me and just like with my wife that they may leave the past for a while, but in the wilderness is where they find the savior. And in the wilderness, the savior can guide them back to the path again. And if you've done all you can to that point, there's not much else you can do other than pray and hope and keep being diligent yourself. Um, I know that that's true. Um, as far as my testimony goes, this, I mean, the church is amazing. The church is amazing because people look for answers. They look for who am I and where do I come from? And why does God do good things for bad people and bad things to good people? I mean, these are all the typical questions. The gospel answers all of them. And if you stop to look for the answers, he will give them to you. And it doesn't have to be answers that everyone's getting. He'll answer you individually. He'll answer you collectively. And he answers you in ways that only you can understand. He comes to you on your terms in so many different ways. He talks to you in your language. He makes it so that you can understand. He isn't difficult. The gospel is not difficult. It is so blatantly easy. It's us that complicates it. I know that if you follow the gospel, if you listen, I mean, really listen to the prophet, he's not going to lead you astray. He's not. And most of the time when he just says um, to read the scriptures, it just means read the scriptures. Like it just, just, it's basic. Take it for the basic value that it is. Because it is, it's basic. God wants it to be simple. And the gospel is simple. Um, I know that if you follow it, it will make your life better. I know it. Um if you doubt, I mean, you know, that's a different story, but try not to doubt because look, it helped me. It can help you. Um, and it's helped so many other people. The Lord cares about you. He knows who you are. He knows who you are, which is crazy to think he's built an entire universe with millions. I mean, know how many different earths and suns and, but he knows me and he cares about me. He cares about if I lose my AirPods, he cares about, if I'm doing good or bad in the class, it's crazy to think, but he cares. I mean, in the scriptures, it says that a sparrow can fall and he will know. He knows and he cares. And if you take the time to talk to him, to really talk, not just, hey, bless the food or bless my day, bless that I can be happy, name Jesus Christ, amen, kind of stuff. Like actually talk. Like think about, you know, you parents, think about what you would love your kids to sit down and talk to you about. If you just sit and talk to him, he'll answer. He wants to give you blessings if you ask. This gospel is amazing, and he is there. I love it, and I don't know where I would be without it. Um, I'm grateful for the temple. I love the temple. The plan of salvation is so amazing. To know that my dad is there helping me and my other family is there helping me is an amazing thing, too. I have a really tender testimony of that, and I know that at the end of my life, I'll be able to do the same thing for my family. I know it. There's life after this one. We don't just close our eyes and never wake up again. There's so much more than we just don't understand. And you know what? Listen to your, your leaders. I love my church leaders, my the prophet and my state presidents and my bishop. I love them. They all just want to help you. I've seen that in my life too. Amen. And, and Nathan, one more thing. Just touch for a moment on your relationship with Jesus Christ. 
you know, Jesus Christ is, he's in the boat with me. I mean, as they say, he's, he's hooked next to me, pulling these same weights. And really, honestly, he's pulling my weights and my challenges without me. Um, I know that he's there and I feel him there often. Um, it's more than, I mean, it really is like, he's a big brother. Um, I'm the oldest in my family as far as siblings go, but I have an uncle who's like my brother. And whenever I need help, I can call him and he'll talk to me. Um, he's only eight years older than I am. And that brother, brotherly relationship that I have between him and I is a lot what I feel with the savior. Whenever I am really struggling, um, or have a question or am frustrated about something, it's like, you know, I can say, I, I really need you to help me with this. Like, I don't understand. How did you handle it? How did you do it? And I'll have images and thoughts or ideas come into my mind, or I'll have, you know, a thought to write something and I'll write it down, but answers come. He is readily available there for me. He, ever since that day, I mean, really honestly, before that day, you know, I know that he was there. I just couldn't feel him. Um, it's, I think you said this, Dave, best when your wife feels bad about something, when she seeks for, uh, to be forgiven about something she just, or she feels bad about something she's done. Well, she looks up into heaven and says, thank you. Right. That's how I feel. His atonement is for me. It's for you. It's for everybody. And whether or not you want to let him pay that price for you, it's already happened. So you can accept it or you cannot. But if you accept it, at least you don't let it go to waste. Um, I know it's hard sometimes to let people help you, but he's already done it. And he wants you to let him step in. And he wants you to let him bridge the gap. And he wants you to let him um, make weak things strong. And I hope and pray every day that I, uh, I make him proud because he's done everything for me. Mm. Thank you so much, Nathan. Sure love and appreciate you, brother, our friendship, you and your sweetheart, Jess, and your family. Been so amazing to have you here with us, Nate. Just so you know, on on August 21st from Temp Harley-Davidson right here in Orem, Utah, I will be mounting my Harley-Davidson with thousands of other riders, and we will ride in honor of Corey Ride and other fallen officers who have um, who have given the ultimate sacrifice. You've had a lot of tough stuff, brother. You've you've been asked to face a lot of things in your young, moldable, shapeable life, and our Heavenly Father loves you. And uh, and is using you. What an instrument. Oh, my goodness. What I, an instrument you are, Nathan. I, I, I feel his great love overpowering uh, all of us today for you as you've experienced your spirit strength and hope what a, what a blessing you are to students yeah indeed and students, us family and, and to our listeners yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and uh, what an example of the embodiment of ether 1227 thank you for that it's been a great podcast it's been good to be with you all today uh, we look forward to our next uh, opportunity to be together next week make sure that you tune in and until then may god bless you may you feel his spirit continually to be with you And please do everything you can to court the Spirit so that you may fill the atonement of the administration of the atonement of Jesus Christ alive in your life. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.